You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 24. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, folks, so we just have an amazing interview for you today. We're going to be talking to Robert Candell. If you've ever heard of uh, One Taste Orgasmic Meditation, he's the co-founder of that. He does a ton of work with people on relationships. And our topic today is how not to die alone. You know, here we do a lot of work with people who are trying to find compatible partners, either kink compatible or open relationship compatible. And we're going to dive deep today into how to find and build meaningful relationships in a world where meaningful relationships seem increasingly rare and increasingly hard to find. And they can seem especially hard to find if you are kinky or poly. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe and let's hop into the interview. Today we're talking to Robert Candell. Held as part football coach, part loving dad, and part slightly crazed drill sergeant, Robert Candell has spent the last 16 years helping people re-energize their lives and build better relationships through more honest and authentic connections. After building a successful consulting firm in San Francisco, he then took his business acumen and co-founded One Taste Orgasmic Meditation in 2004 with Nicole... Nicole Daydon. Nicole Daydon. Taking on the challenging task of bringing conscious sexuality to the mainstream market, Robert built the company from scratch to a high seven-figure international corporation. He left One Taste in 2014 to start his own consulting firm, helping small businesses become marketable and profitable. Robert is also an accomplished teacher, coach, and lecturer. He brings his enthusiasm and acumen to his weekly podcast, Tough Love, on subjects around relationships, intimacy, communication, and gender dynamics. That is a mouthful. You have anything you'd like to fill in that we didn't hit on or anything you'd like to talk more about with that whole thing? It's been a great life. I'm really blessed to be able to give back what I've learned. And I'm really here to serve the world and and have a good time along the way. Okay. So our topic for today is how not to die alone. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And so this is, I think this is a great topic. You know, we, we like to talk a lot about dating and relationships and we found that dying alone is one of those main, you know, one of the main things people are afraid of happening in their lives that drives them to want to build amazing relationships. Yeah, I um, I do coaching, dating coaching. And when I get people on the phone, this is probably one of the number one things, especially, particularly my male clients, but just dating clients in general. This is one of the first things I hear from them is I am scared I'm going to die alone. And it's something I think that a lot of us have this fear of this idea of, you know, one day growing old and no one being there to hold our hand. But on the other hand, there might be some things there that we're really not doing to correct it. Like there's a lot of single people who uh, kind of aren't really making any changes to get out of that situation. Well, it's a really valid fear. And it's, and it's happening in society is actually it's the most isolated time in the history. There are actually more adults now who are single for the first time in history. It crossed over a couple of years ago. There's a statistic that 50.2% of adults are actually single compared to in, in relationship or married. And um, there's a, there was a Boston Globe article that came out that said uh, men in their 50s and 60s are more afraid of isolation than they are of cancer. Like it is a, is a full force fear in today's society. And that's one of those things that I think is tied when you look at the studies and stuff is tied more to health and satisfaction and happiness than really everything else. I think it's really interesting that that number has gotten so high. Do you have any theories as to why that is? Well, many. <laughs> um, the main reason I think it's happening is that women's empowerment is changing dramatically. And there's a lot of statistics to support that. The one I like to talk about the most is that the gender wage gap, which uh, in the 1980s was around 36 cents. So a woman would earn around 64 cents 
for every dollar a man made. Uh, now millennial women entering the workforce, A, are being hired more than men, and B, are now at 93 cents. So this is millennial women, not all women, just millennial women. And so what's happening in the past, there was this dependence on men to get a to financial or to own a house or even open a bank account or get a car. And in this last generation, the the power of women's increased significantly. So they're like, I don't need to be in a relationship. I don't need to suffer through a relationship. I'm fine by myself. And in doing so, the whole um, romance and marriage and all that's changed dramatically in this last generation. So it sounds like you actually think that's a positive thing to a certain extent. Maybe not Maybe not that there are more single people, but why more people are single? Well, my view is it's getting realer, and especially in the last month, uh, you know, or the six weeks with Me Too and and all this. There's there's a new level of consciousness that's happening. I think it's going to be mess, a total mess for another generation, and I'm hoping after that they'll find some settling out of equality and connection rather than shoulds or rules. I do think it's going to be a mess for a while, so people buckle up and put your crash helmets on. Uh, but at the same time, I think we're heading to a place of more, uh, more realness and honesty that people can actually have the relationships they want rather than the ones they learn from their parents. It's funny. Do you do you watch uh, Adam Ruins Everything at all? I don't know that show. Oh, it's it's uh, it's what is it on True TV? It's this guy who goes around. He debunks a bunch of myths. Our son loves this show. Yeah, he's obsessed with this. But he did one a a little. So they'll they'll put out little short clips on YouTube of of the show. And they had this one recently. I'll, uh, I'll I'll put it in the show notes. But they did one recently about how the divorce rate has gone up. And he's talking about how the divorce rate has gone up. And so many people think that's a bad thing. But essentially, it's because people are actually willing, if it is a bad relationship, to break up instead of staying in unhappy, abusive relationships like they used to. Totally. Totally true. So, yeah, I think there's definitely probably, you know, some downfalls with things with the positives. And I think a lot of that comes from change. People don't adapt to change very well. Um, And I guess that's probably where we're at right now with things kind of changing over the years and not really being able to... uh, sort through that. So you're saying as far as, you know, men, are women experience the, experiencing these things as well? Or do you think there's more men that are single than there are women single in their older age? I actually have an opinion. I would like to get yours. Okay. I think it's an equal, I'm not saying uh, 50.2% of men are single. I'm just saying 52% of, of um, adults are single. And I do think that it's it's both genders are really being affected. Now, are they happy or are they adaptable? I, I think most people are actually quite unhappy today. There's I think there's a higher percentage of people confused, not knowing what's going on. Uh, the Tinder revolution has made a major impact in terms of relating. People are going more for quantity rather than quality. Uh, I think there's a, a lot there's a lot of men giving up which is, of course, affecting women. And so a lot of women I know, powerful, attractive, you know, of all ages are showing up and saying, where are the men? And the men are just like, eh, this isn't working for me. So there's there's a lot of messiness in society today. What's your opinion? So my opinion is I think that it is equal. I think that the difference that I see, at least from a lot of the men that I deal with with coaching, is women have now gotten to a point where they are pursuing relationships, especially in their older years. You look at like, you know, your 40 somethings, 45 somethings and women are like, okay, I am single. I want to find somebody. I'm going to do something. I'm going to push forward. And I noticed that a lot of, you know, my male clients, they've waited much longer than women have. Like women start trying to pursue these things. Like they get that whole like bug around 30, 35 of, oh God, I'm going to die. I'm not going to be able to have children, um, whole sort of thing there. And men will wait until they're 40, 45. And then they're like, oh gosh, I'm single. What do I do now? Um, so I kind of see it as it's equal as far as people being lonely, but it's different in how men and women are dealing with it. I think women are sort of being a little bit more proactive and trying but there's a big hit and miss there still. 
Well, my view is is that women are more self-sufficient than men in general. Now, of course, we all talk about this where there's edges of every extreme. I'm using generalities, and so I don't mean to insult people who who aren't in this stereotype, but I think women are really well-suited to take care of themselves. Men are, are not great at taking care of themselves in terms of health, in terms of taking care of um, their emotional needs. Women are more self-sufficient. Women also are able to create bonds with other women that are powerful and they can get the intimacy and strength they need from other women. And most men, once they get out of the school age, have difficult relating to other men. And so men tend to really be isolated and they get older. And so I, I'm agreeing with your thesis. And also women are creative in terms of pursuing what they want. So I, I do agree with what you're saying. Cassie is over here making all kinds of happy faces. Our partner is going to love this episode too. Right. I feel like this is a very female empowerment episode. (laughs) One of the dangers I have in my career is that I, you know, I like the word feminist and I don't identify with a feminist as a feminist. I'm just a personist. And the thing that pisses me off in world is just watching people be dumb when it comes to relating. And I see men time after time really shooting themselves in the foot. And it is so annoying. It's like nails on the chalkboard. And so a lot of my work and a lot of my my focus is just waking men up. It's like, come on, come on, wake up, you know, stop doing that thing you always do that gets you in this predicament and and catch up with women. There's a lot of uh, need for men to catch up with the emotional intelligence and the advancement women are making. So that's a lot of, I think there's a lot of pro women in my speak, but that's more because I want to wake men the F up. And I think that's true because, you know, we're talking about how a lot of these things, you know, the people alone are in somewhat equal numbers. And, but I think that not, I think that the problems that the genders have are different a lot of times when you're talking about the way people approach it, not just the way people are approaching it, but it's, they're having different issues. But I think this idea of trying to wake men up flows great into the question of how not to die alone. True. True. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll tell you something a teacher taught me um he said uh be nice and i was like that's that's the answer to he's like yeah be nice and i was like what does that mean he says okay one learn to tell the truth without anger that's the nicest thing you can do Uh, most people don't know how to tell the truth actually people lie but they don't tell the truth and when they do tell the truth it tends to be after a long time holding it and so they deliver it with a lot of anger so be nice. Learn to pay attention. Learn to notice. Learn to uh, put yourself in their shoes and see their perspective. You don't necessarily have to agree, and you, you should never like uh, lie or um, compromise. But always like take the time to really see what they're seeing, see what they want from their point of view, and pay attention. And that's been the greatest trick of learning to relate with women because they have very different pr- perspectives. They walk in very set different shoes. And my ability to see from their side has made me a better friend to women, has gotten me into the best relationship I ever thought was possible and continues to fuel my life. One of our, our first interviews on this podcast. Uh, our new coin. Yeah, it's, it, we, we were talking to Billy Presida and he brought up a line that has kind of, I think, become the running theme of this show. That is, when you treat people like people, you're more likely to get laid. That works. That works. Yeah. <laughs> or get into relationships. Yeah, or, or get into relationships. Yeah, true enough. So what what do you see as the biggest issues that cause people who are looking for partners to wind up alone? Like the people who, when you say the people are shooting themselves in the foot over and over, what are those things that they're doing to shoot themselves in the foot? If you have like maybe your top things that you see people do. One is the uh, people aren't fully showing up and this has gotten worse over time. Uh, but uh, what I've trained and what I know is that what women truly want from men is presence. They want to be able to feel that the man is there. They want to feel like the man can expand to hold their emotions. The man can feel good about himself. Uh, women don't want to be an, a mother to their partner. They, if they have kids, they're not looking for another child. So learning for a man to, to be in his presence. Now, so that's the first thing. The second thing is is that relationships are work, and I actually have it as relationship as a practice. And so if you're going in thinking that it's all going to be, you know, roses and unicorns and flowers, 
Well, you're not in a real relationship. You're in a surface level relationship. And so I think what's happening is, is especially with the Tinder revolution, where you can be like, I hit a road bump, I'm out of here, uh, is really a cause of a lot of things. So for man to learn self-confidence, to learn to have presence, and also to say, okay, I'm going to go on the ride of this relationship. I'm going to stick through it, you know, through the good times and the bad times, not just to stay in the relationship for my own expansion so I can learn and I can grow. If you're not willing to stick through the tough times, you're never going to expand who you are as a man. And I think that goes even for women in some ways, um, uh, you know, as far as sort of that our society's kind of grown into this instant gratification thing. Totally. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's difficult to really be present and consider someone else's emotions and feelings and deal with the really hard shit when you can just skip on by and meet somebody new and try something new. I think we've kind of become adapted to uh, instant gratification and things just being easier, which makes us not work on the hard things. True. I mean, coffee date ends, didn't go well, pull up the phone, launch Tinder, start searching, start hunting. That is a normal MO for many people these days. There's just, there's so much available and we're not willing to stick through the rough times to learn how to be intimate. I think, I think it's one of those things where there's a time and a place, you know, I mean, it, it depends on what you're looking for. If all you're looking for is, is a fuck buddy, that's fine. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think the issue comes in when it's, it's people who want to find serious relationships who can't make that transition into, you know, that jump from, uh, how you would interact with just a fuck buddy to how you interact with somebody that you're actually trying to build a relationship with. True. I mean, here's a funny story. So I met my fiance probably about two and a half years ago, and she told me this story of how she dated a lot of guys. And she basically said to him, listen, I don't want to rush to have intercourse. I just, you know, I'm just out of uh, marriage and I you know, want to take time. And these guys were like, if they weren't having sex in the second or third date, they basically left because she said no, because she wanted to wait to get to know and be intimate and explore. And she asked me, and I was like, take as much time as you want. We can have fun doing whatever you feel comfortable with. It's, you know, it's, you know, intercourse is not a, you know, has to be. It's like, let's get to know each other. And then finally, after it was a good six or seven weeks, the first time we had sex, and it was totally worth the wait. But I, I saw that as such a huge part. It's like, if we're not getting that instant gratification, we're not getting what our ego needs to feel that things are, quote, working out we bail and we miss out. I mean, those guys missed out on an incredible woman and I feel bad for them. I feel good for me, but I feel bad for them. <laughs> That's usually how that works when we're with our partners and we're like, sucks to be you. Good to be me. Good to be me, indeed. So what, what are some other ways that you think that people shoot themselves in the foot besides, you know, just not sticking it around long enough to really get anywhere? I think the main focus is not telling the truth. Um, <clears throat> one of my basic viewpoints is that uh, withholding is lying. That's one of my core teaching points. And what's happening is that we're actually trained to be liars. We're trained to withhold. Either uh, we don't trust the person can handle it, or we don't feel safe enough to say it. And so what happens in a lot of relationships is that we uh, build facades. We're not straightforward with our uh, prospective partners. We only show a part of ourselves. And then we're in this relationship, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, hiding those parts of ourselves that we have judgments are. Then what happens is it kind of leaks out or it shows up. And then the other person feels betrayed because you've hidden this part of yourself from them. And a lot of relationships collapse. Sometimes it's years later. I have this fetish. I have this history. I had this relationship, I had this drug problem, all these things that were part of us were not forthright. And so what happens is relationships fall apart because the people eventually find out, which I think is, is a big piece of the puzzle. And one more on that point I'll say is, you know, I believe in the evolution of human beings. And what I mean by that is I expect my partner to evolve and change. I know I'm changing. And so what's happening is that my partner's evolving and changing. And if we don't have the, the agreement that we're both going to evolve, when that other person evolves to the point past our comfort zone, 
where like they feel betrayed. But if you don't expect your partner to evolve, you're not paying attention. And so just know you want your partner to evolve. You want you to evolve. You want your relationship to evolve and to build the container where you can be honest about what's happening so it can be in dialogue rather than betrayal. Oh man, there's a lot there. I think that's, I think that's two things. I think that's two things that you said. So I'll talk about the one first, which is when you're talking about how important honesty is, I completely agree. Um, I think, you know, Cassie and I both, the way we always approach our relationships is if you don't have trust, there's nothing there really. Mm -hmm. But what I'm curious to get your viewpoint on is especially in the early stages of a relationship, how do you distinguish what is something that you should be talking about honestly and what is just oversharing? I th- well, there's to me, I always tell people there's a little bell that rings in your ear that says it's time to reveal. And so I'm not saying on the first date, the second date, the third date, the fifth date to vomit all the parts of yourself. That's not a good dating strategy. But there's a little ding that goes in your ear that says, huh. This is moving from casual to something, or this is moving from something to something serious. You know, in your core, you know. And so at that point, it's time to reveal everything. I think it's, and I'm not saying doing it all one night. I'm saying it start start to talk about what's going on with you to your partner in a a slow, in a permission, in a calm communication uh, container. The point is, is I don't think you should hide anything once you hear that ding. And I think that's a good, for the most part, way of going about it. I think there's also that aspect of uh, timing and really kind of thinking about what you're telling your partner when. I think a lot of people get to a point where they don't share, they don't share, then they don't share, and then finally they overshare. And it's almost like a sharing overload. So all the bad things, all the negative things that I've never told you, here they are. They're all at one time rather than practicing saying those things and doing those things over a period of time. And it just ends up being a dumping all at once, especially when there hasn't been anything there before to really deal with. So your relationship never got to have that practice on dealing with things not being great. And then all of a sudden it's just a big dump. Right. And you can ask your partner about it. Like you hear that ding, you know, things are getting serious. You can have that conversation. Hey, you know, we've been together for six weeks now. It feels like things are getting more serious. You know, I'm really, I want you to know me. I want you to know who I am. I don't want to be this half known entity. And I'm not sure how you want me to share. I'm not, you know, do you want me to say everything? Do you want me to bring out a little thing? Do you want to go by the water and have these conversations or like, I want you to educate me on the best methodology for you, for me to reveal. We, we have this really weird bias in society that we're supposed to know how to relate. We're supposed to know how to have sex and we don't, and we're not taught it. And so it's okay to ask your partner on their best way for you to interact with them. It's, it's a really a friendly thing to do. And frankly, it's a turn on because then the other person feels considered. The other person feels like you really do care and you're taking their feelings into consideration. Yeah, I, it's funny. You, when you talk about how people think we should just know how to do these things, I find that to be one of the biggest problems anytime you're talking about dating or polyamory or, or sex or relationships or any kind of these things is people forget that they're all learned skill. You know, and it's 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 something you can acquire. It's something that you can learn and get better at. It's something that if you don't practice, your skills kind of degrade and you have to maybe practice a little bit to get back up to where you were at. And worse, what worked with person A, assuming it's going to work with person B, sexually, communication wiles, you know, you never know. You, you It's so different. Every person is ex- extremely different, but we get stuck in our patterns. We get um, stuck in our strategies. And then the person doesn't feel like you're relating to them. They feel like you're just following a formula. And that's infuriating, especially to women when they feel like a man is following a formula. Yeah, I think there's a lot with that, with how there ends up being this idea that if it worked for one person, it's going to work for the next person. And I think it's interesting that we talk about 
babies don't come with manuals, right? You always hear that in, in the adult world as far as people who have kids. Babies don't come with manuals. But adults don't come with manuals. Girlfriends, boyfriends, lovers. Some of them write manuals for themselves. I've seen that. <laughs> Never heard that. That's cool. But there isn't like a one size fits all. And I think that definitely ends up causing a lot of issues in relationships as far as expecting that if it worked this way once, that it's never going to, you know, that it's always going to work every time going forward. Well, we used to joke at One Taste, we used to say like, uh, we are trained to be Navy SEALs. We're supposed to, with sex, we're supposed to like drop in, do it in the dark, silently, do the job and get out with no communication, (laughs) you know? And I was like, that's totally true. And that's, that doesn't work. It's like asking questions. The, the practice we had was a lot about communication. It was a lot about asking and receiving requests. And in that I learned to touch a woman. I didn't know how to touch a woman until a woman said, this is the way I like to be touched. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah. And they're like this. And they're like, yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I had no idea. And then they feel grateful. Women felt grateful that I was willing to listen and adapt. And I was just like, please tell me more. And so there's this really weird conspiracy of silence. And we're supposed to know that I think is killing a lot of great possible sex. Yeah, I I completely agree. Like I said, that may be the single biggest, that may be one of the single biggest issues. And it's funny because you talk about people who come with a manual. And I've actually seen people lately, but it's not so much relationship manuals. It's more with like, sex, especially like scening. I've actually seen people write, I'm thinking of a couple of people that we've, we've talked to in the past who've actually had like written manuals. For their independent selves. Yes. Yes. When you said someone comes with a manual, I was wondering if that's what you meant. Yeah. They actually put together sort of a, a workbook. User's on, manual. For themselves on this is how you, I want to be touched and this is what feels good to me. And this is the kind of care that I need. This is, yeah. Yeah. So um, there are individuals with manuals. However, there is not a manual for everybody that works for everybody. True. True. And I, I never heard of that before. And I love that idea. Read my ebook before you go on a date with me. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I may, re- I may reach out to one or the two of the people I know who, who have done that and see if they'd give us permission to... Post one. Post it. Yeah, that might be a cool thing. But I do think that when we're talking about that, like I said, we're not so much talking about a relationship manual. And honestly, I think when you're talking about a relationship manual as opposed to like a here's how to operate me sexually manual, you know, that's that's something that would be hard to, I think, to write down all the all the little minutiae and the different things that go into operating a relationship with someone. Yeah, I don't think that's something that would be very easy to just make an operation manual, but I do think it's good to identify sort of your communication style and what works best for you, especially during confrontation, things like that. I think people should really have those conversations early on in the relationship of, I am one of those people that really needs quiet time when I'm frustrated or I uh, am the kind of person that really needs to talk when I'm anxious. So that way their partners are a little bit more informed in the beginning versus later on in the relationship. And I actually wanted to go back on something for a minute because we kind of talked about the one thing, but not the other. And the other thing was that idea of evolving and relationships evolving and people not being prepared for that. Oh, yeah, that could be a whole conversation in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, because you were like, there's one thing, and we kind of went into that, but not really that whole evolving thing. And I think a lot of relationships tend to have a point where they break off because people are not prepared for things not to be exactly as they expected them to be. And this can be right after that new relationship energy or the bright, shiny phase in a relationship. We actually did a whole episode with, uh, I cannot say her name, Dr. Zana. 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 I'm so bad at her name. Where we were talking about like love and lust and the difference and how things change. And I think a lot of people don't prepare themselves for change in a relationship, especially over time, because I feel like it's always evolving. And there's this big shock factor that comes in where a couple or a group or however many people in a relationship, we have polyamorous people, aren't prepared to see things kind of transform, whether it's their partner or the relationship. Completely. I mean, it's so interesting. It's like, 
we we want our partner to grow and we want the partner to stay the same. We we want flow and we want dynamic energy. And at the same time, we want things to feel safe. And so it's a paradigm. It's 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 how do you how do you or sorry, paradox. It's like how do you how do you live with both? So you just have to assume that the person you met at, at 30 is going to change by the time they hit 40. And if you're so rigidly holding on to who that person was at 30 or 31, you stop seeing your partner and you do the disservice to them and the disservice to the relationship by not saying, okay, my partner's evolving. You know, he or she has a new hobby or a new desire or something in there. I'm not in if as long as they as long as I can talk to my partner and speak what's on my mind, then there's flow. Anytime I feel scared to withhold it, that's when I know things are trouble. And so invite your partner to let them show you all your evolution so it's not a betrayal when it does come out sideways. What are some suggestions you have for how to handle that situation where your partner has evolved and maybe things aren't quite clicking in the relationship like they were before because people have grown, I don't want to say differently, you know, but maybe that isn't the same person that you had dealt with back when they were 31 and now you're 35, 36 and things have changed. What are some ways to look at that or things that you can do? Um, well, I'll do both sides. So for the person who knows there's something going on inside of them, the, I have a step-by-step process. The, the first is to find it right in yourself, to do the inner work where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm interested in open relationship, or I want to explore kink, or I want to go back to school, or I want to quit my job or quit my profession. Do the internal work inside of you with a therapist or journaling, a men's group, a 12-step program, like do whatever it takes so you feel right about your change. The second is to uh, talk to your partner and say, you, you know, I want to talk to you about something. Can we set up a time where I can, we can talk about this thing? Put away the cell phones, make sure the kids are handled, turn off the television, turn off the music, and just sit in a place where it's quiet. The third is I often recommend starting off with an apology. So it goes something like this. It's, it's like, um, honey, you know, I've had this feeling inside of me for the last year, six months, two years, five years, whatever it is. And I've been really scared to tell you. I've been scared to tell you because I'm afraid of you getting hurt or worse, you leaving me, having this fear of abandonment. And um, I just haven't felt safe or comfortable enough to tell you. And I take responsibility for that. Um, and I want to tell you now. And I want to tell you now so you know me. You know all of me. Are you interested in, in having this conversation? You actually give your partner the chance to respond yes or no. If the answer is no, then you have to look at the relationship and hmm, maybe there's something amiss. If the answer is yes, then you slowly talk about this new evolution inside of you. You start to you don't vomit it. You don't dump it. You say a little bit. You get there. Sometimes those conversations can take a couple of days or even a couple of weeks. Allow for your partner to have their feelings, and then keep talking until it's flat. That, to me, is the best way to reveal a secret inside of you. I like the idea of apologizing for not expressing yourself, but not apologizing for what you're telling them. I think that's a big distinction. Yeah. Yeah, because you're not wrong to have changed, but you know, maybe if it's something that you haven't been talking about for all, and it's been, especially if it's been causing some friction or something like that in a relationship. You know, we deal with a lot of people who... Uh, you know, they've been married for five, 10 years and, you know, they have this kind of major revelation that they're kinky or that they're interested in open relationships or, you know, even people who maybe their partner already knew they were kinky, but now they're into something different that they find maybe embarrassing or they don't think that their partner is going to be okay with or is going to want to, you know, be a part of. Yeah. And they end up kind of holding back for a long period of time and, a lot of times when you hold back, it ends up causing more trouble than even getting it out on the table because there's hurt feelings and anger and all those other things that just end up forming over time. Totally. I mean, secrets are the cancer of relationship. And so if you have a secret, then what's happening is that you're holding that secret and you can't trust your partner because you have a secret you know about yourself that they don't know. So you know they're not relating to your true self. They're, they're relating to the facade you've created. So when I was married a long time ago, my partner uh, had uh, slept with an old boyfriend and she didn't tell me for a year. 
and it affected our relationship, but I had no idea why. And when she finally told me, you know, I was upset the first couple of minutes or first half an hour. And then I realized I wasn't so much upset at the infidelity, but more from the fact that she withheld it for a year and it had such a detrimental effect on the relationship. It's like that was the thing that really bothered me. So I want to I want to talk for a minute about, you know, we, we had talked a little earlier about how uh, some things have changed, how, you know, the amount of loneliness has changed. Uh, some of that's good and some of that's bad. And I found it interesting you keep talking about the the Tinder thing. And the reason that I find that interesting is because we've had a lot of people who have actually been very successful on Tinder, I guess. Like, it's, it's, it's this weird thing where people have actually had more luck on Tinder because they're actually able to go and have a real conversation with somebody as opposed to, like, going through thousands of dating questions and all these things. And, and by the time they talk to somebody, they've researched them for, like, six months and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. But, you know, along those lines... What's what's your feelings on whether or not the way we interact with technology now and the way technology causes us to interact with people and how, if at all, that is affecting relationships? Like, is that good? Is it bad? Is it causing problems? Is it some of all of the above? Well, I think there's been problems with relationships throughout history. And we can blame technology because it's so easy to blame technology. But and. Uh, what I'm seeing is I'm I'm not against Tinder as a as a process to meet someone, not at all. Uh, I think it's just as good and has advantages over the OK Cupids and all those other things. It has its pros and cons. The thing about Tinder that what I've seen is a lot of men aren't willing to invest because they know they can find someone so easily, or there's all these options. It's like the the man's hunter mind gets activated by the clicking left and clicking right. The game of it is really attractive, and so. It's like an instant video game in your pocket to find a potential romantic or sexual partner that's always present. Um, but overall, technology to me, the, the detrimental thing I found in technology is that we're forming better relationships with our devices than we are with people. And when we go out to restaurants, you know, kids are, are on their phones talking, uh, like texting other people who aren't there rather than relating to the person in front of them. Uh, kids are being handed phones and devices and iPads as babysitters. And there's a really highly addictive uh, proven pieces around Facebook and likes, and there's a really bad impact that's happening. So I'm just nervous about what's going to happen. And I have an app on my phone that shows me how much time I spend on my phone. And I pay a lot of attention to it. When my kids or Morgan comes into the room, I put my phone down as a general rule and just say, no, I want to put my attention outward rather. So that's my biggest fear of technology not so much around the actual Tinder app or process itself. It's, it's one of those things where everything in the world is grabbing for your attention. I mean, really, it's, it's become a game of what can get the most attention. Like, I, I get interrupted, you know, even just from a work level, a million times a day away from what I'm actually supposed to be doing. Um, some of it by technology, other things by a million other things that people want me to do. But yeah, you definitely get to a point where it's, it, you know, we were, we were out with somebody the other day having dinner, and we were trying to get our kid to get off his phone and actually pay attention. You know, to the people, we hadn't seen these people like six months. Well, it's funny because I'll use our kid as a example. He is now at the age where he's got a girl he's talking to. And they went out on a date. And it's one of his first dates. He's a teenager. Um, and I heard from the other parent who drove them to the movie that the two of them were texting each other in the same car sitting next to each other. So uh, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, we would rather take a picture of the food that's in front of us than eat it and, and talk to our partner about it. So I think there's, there's this uh, factor that we are becoming uh, attached to our devices more so than our interactions with others. Yeah. Well, specifically, we'd like to get validation of the food we're about to eat rather than we'd rather eat it. We want the likes on Instagram. We want the, the clicks and the hearts. So it's the external validation that we're looking for. Uh, do you have any any tips for overcoming the, we were talking earlier about kind of the, one of the biggest problems in society is the isolation. Do you have any tips for overcoming the isolation in today's society? One, get off your devices. <laughs> <laughs> First and foremost is, you know, you're, you know, a lot of people, myself included, will get into an uncomfortable situation or we're by myself or we're waiting for the bus and we'll, we'll immediately go to the phone 
and you're missing all this possible human action. So keep your phone in your pocket first and foremost and look around and make eye contact and you never know what could happen. The second is meet people in real life rather than electronically. I think meetup.org, I think it is, or meetup.com is one of the coolest things possible. It creates groups of like-minded people to meet. Take a chance, get off your butt, get off the TV, turn off the Netflix, and go to a meetup and meet someone in real life. It could be the most boring experience in your life, but you never know. Um, the third thing is is to take a risk and look to engage with a person without looking for a result. Most people I recommend if they want a partner is look for someone, but don't look for a partner. In other words, enjoy the person at the time for the relationship and the situation that's happening in the moment rather than some outcome, because then you're actually in real time interacting rather than in your head. And I think this is a good tool for as far as communicating with people. Like I have clients that come to me and say, I'm not good at communicating. I don't know how to approach people. I don't know how to start conversations. And they're always talking about the people that they are attracted to. I don't know how to approach that girl and ask her for her number. I don't know how to start a conversation with somebody that I have a deep desire for. And it's that practice of getting out and talking to anybody and making connections wherever you can. So that way, when it does come time for somebody that you're attracted to or that you're interested in, you don't blow it because you haven't had any opportunity. So I think it's a practicing that too. That's really important. Totally agree. I, I actually have a question for you. I'm curious as if you have an opinion on this. So what, what's your thoughts on this whole idea that, you know, that people become a lot isolated, just more, not even romantically, but just more on a day-to-day basis because of just how things are structured now. Like, you know, we don't really, like, I can tell you, you know, we were talking about this the other day. You know, we live in a neighborhood. I don't know any of our neighbors here. Like we used to live on a cul-de-sac and we knew, you know, maybe a few of the people to our left and right. Now we live on a street. Like we don't know any of our neighbors here at all. Like, you know, our son, he's got, he's got a couple of friends, but like they're through his school. He doesn't really have people in the neighborhood or anybody that he really goes, uh, you know, it, there's like this whole lack of this community where we live at this point. You know what I mean? Like we interact with our people from work and, you know, but once we're out of there, a lot of times we don't really have people that we will or a community that we go and hang out with or anything like that. I'm happy. We have the same exact experience. You know, we live in this beautiful neighborhood in the Valley of Los Angeles and what is there? 5 million people in this city. And it's hard to get connected to people uh, or see people. And even though we have friends in the city, we don't see them that often. So I think there's a couple things that have happened. One is I think people have gotten really scared. I know when I was a kid, um, I used to run around my neighborhood. I used to ride my bike miles away from my house, you know, boys and girls would just be out there in the world playing and running. And now I never really see kids on the street. And I think there's a parental fear that their kids are going to get abducted or hurt. There's some, which is happens. And I don't think it happens as much as people fear it, but there's this fear of something bad happening. And so we have overprotective helicopter type parents. That's the first thing. Well, I think the thing is too, like, at least for, you know, what I see with us, with a lot of the people I know is a lot of our friends or chosen social groups don't really live within a, a distance that facilitates seeing people regularly, you know? So we, we have, we have friends and stuff, but we, you know, you may only see them once every few months. And I don't know, it's, it's just interesting. We've actually been talking about this a lot lately, just since we, well, no, because, you know, we, we, like a lot of our friends and stuff are just so far away that it really kind of outside of social media and phones and stuff, you know, there's not a lot of face-to-face interaction anymore with people. Completely. Yep. Totally agree. Do you have any other tips before we get to the speed round on for men, for women, doesn't matter, but on how people can find meaningful relationships and avoid dying alone. Anything that we haven't covered so far. One of the other things I teach is something called self-validation. 
more often than not, we're looking to our partners to validate us as a person. For a man, it might mean having an attractive woman as his wife, or we might look to our material wealth, or you know, we might look for external external evidence that we're doing it right. For women, it's a lot around security. It's a lot about the trappings. It's a lot about being safe. And so the greatest thing I think people can have is learn internal validation. Learn to love yourself. Learn to know how awesome you are. And then you're not looking to your partner to validate you. When they do validate you, it's like the whipped cream on the great apple pie. But learn the power of self-evaluation, self-love, and self-empowerment, I think is the best way to be as attractive as possible to another person. Okay. So Robert, I think we're going to do the speed round. Are you familiar with the speed round that we do here? Yes. Okay. So it is what? 10 questions in 60 seconds. That's the idea. I don't think most people get through them in in 60 seconds. I'm going to win. It's going to work out. (laughs) (laughs) So just first thing that comes to your head, uh, if you go on too long a story, we might, we might, we might derail you. We've had to do that a couple of times. Are you ready? Okay, good. I'm ready. All right. What is something you're not very good at? Um, dressing, uh, clothing, color coordination. Tell me something that is true that almost nobody agrees with you on. President Trump is actually a good thing for the country. Ooh. Best piece of relationship advice you've ever received. Uh, be nice. What are three things you couldn't live without? Besides the biological um, purpose, uh, my laptop, and uh, love, uh, love from my partner. What turns you on? A truth and bold requests. A book you would recommend for our listeners? Deep Work by Cal Newport if you want to learn how to focus. What is your biggest fear? My biggest fear is hurting someone else, uh, not paying attention, and doing harm. What is the most adventurous thing you've ever done? It can be sexual or non-sexual. The most adventurous thing I ever did was went to Burning Man at 28 when I was a yuppie and had so much resistance, but it was the biggest change in my life was going to that festival. All right. Who is your movie star crush? Um, I just saw her. Uh, well, Scarlett Johansson is, is up there. And then uh, this chicken Blade Runner. Uh, the, it was, whew, yeah, it was, yeah, it was good. What's something you're working on right now that you'd like our listeners to know about? I have an upcoming book called Unhidden, and I do a podcast called Tough Love. And we will link to both of those in the show. Hey, Robert, where can people find you online? You can find all my stuff at toughlove.live. That's T-U-F-F love.live. My podcast, my writing, videos, and other fun things are all found there. And I also do free consultations for my coaching business. And I do hard sales. So if you just want to talk or connect, you can set up a 45-minute free consultation with me there. Sure. You just want to take a second and tell people what kind of topics you might address with your clients? I've done a lot. Um, I'm a split personality. I have a business consulting side. I help small businesses around finances and operations and legal and you know where businesses are stuck. I focus on women-based businesses. So uh, that's actually at candelconsulting.com. And my life coaching is uh, men's empowerment, relationships, communication, sexuality, and learn to tell the truth. All right, Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great talking to you. Likewise, so much fun. Thanks, guys. Okay, don't actually get off, though. All right. <laughs> That's the tricky part. Don't, don't leave us. <laughs> uh, it was good talking to you. I am initializing, initializing download of local backup. Yeah, I. Uh, so the, something happened to the audio, and I made the mistake of resetting the Zencaster. Thank goodness is I'm recording into this digital recorder, so... I've got the last 20 minutes may not be quite as high audio quality as the first 20 minutes, but I do have it. So that's good. That would have sucked. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on, man. This was really interesting. So I, I was you were getting emphatic head nods from me when you were talking about deep work. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't get off without following up about this Donald Trump comment, though. I'm super curious. Right. I was like, I want to ask, but we're supposed to be doing it in 30 seconds. Yeah, I'm, I'm super curious about that. Well, you, I don't know if you're still recording, but you can do this. So um, I think Donald Trump. One, because we needed to finally bring his flavor that's been underlying all of society forever into the forefront. And so just look at, you know, the Harvey, I don't know if Harvey Weinstein would have happened if Donald Trump didn't happen. 
I don't know if uh, this all the sickness and darkness he brings is actually coming. The 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 masculine part, the unhealthy masculine, is being exposed, and I think it's it's really happening because we finally said, okay, let's bring the junk to the surface. We're going to have a very painful four years, but hopefully it's like after those four years, it'll be cleaned and we can actually get to the next evolution of relating where patriarchy dies a little bit, matriarchy rises, and people actually can relate uh, more honestly. Yeah, and I am still recording. We learned the hard way a little while ago never to turn the recorder off while we're talking to people. Some (laughs) of our best material happens with the recorder off. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I pretty much run it from start to finish now, all the conversation. If there's something that, you know, people didn't necessarily think was going to be in there, you know, and it sounds interesting, I'll ask them. But yeah, we, we've lost a lot of good stuff not running the recorder during just our freeform conversation with people. Or even amongst ourselves. Yeah. We have some really goofy crap that uh, Rigel likes to stick at the, uh, we have like little Easter eggs in some of our podcast episodes where you have to listen to the outro going out and keep it playing to hear it. So we have a whole bunch of little funny things in there. I understand. I totally get it. All right. Well, thank you, sir. You have a good night. I guess it's still pretty early out there, huh? Yeah. I have another show to do, actually. So. Oh, <laughs> okay. wow. All right. Well, we'll let you go, man. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a good evening. Pleasure. You too. All right, guys. I told you he was amazing. You can catch the uh, show notes for this episode with links to uh, Robert's website and all the resources he mentioned at atouchofflavor.com forward slash 024. While you're there, go ahead. I'll put a link up. Sign up for our mailing list. We send out weekly emails with tips on how to improve your relationship stories. We update you about new podcast episodes that have come out. So hit that link. Sign up for our mailing list. You'll get some awesome stuff. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. 